What is going on, guys? Back again for another episode of 8020 with the Katie Copeland. Who is Katie Copeland? Well, uh, she is a lover of light, as cheesy as that is. She is also part of the Dead Dad Club. Um, she is somebody that is an ad world big time. And we have some crossover with some mutual connections. Uh, and we found ourselves um, with a, a very winding, fun friendship up to this point. It is October, and uh, it's been really crazy to get to know one another and see how much we have in common. Katie Copeland, I know that you wanted a grandiose introduction and you wanted something that was well thought out, but you got me after a consultation and here we are. And I am greatly appreciative that you're here on the podcast. So glad to finally be here. I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Well, I rescinded your information, your <laughs> invitation there for a bit uh, when you dipped out of the country and uh, we have offered it back up. So here that tends are. to happen, but I'm glad that we finally found some overlap. I think we're two of the busiest people that I know. So finally worked yeah. out. Yeah, no, I'm glad that we can make this happen. So um, give a little backstory on on who you are, what you care about. Why, why should people even listen past right now? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I also didn't prepare anything for this, but I think, you know, I have had a really interesting life uh, in the way that a lot of the setbacks that have happened to me, like you were mentioning the dead dad club, that's been one of the biggest catalysts in my life. And actually, uh, when he passed away, when I was 18, it really opened up the entire world to me in terms of like chasing after what I wanted. And so I really started, uh, looking at, you know, what were my biggest dreams in this life? If I had a limited amount of time to make that happen, what would I want to do? And for me, it was really about learning about other cultures, traveling the world, like learning in a kinesthetic way. Um, and so I made that happen, you know, even on traveling on a dime, um, and now in my later years, like having these really incredible trips that are a little bit more elaborate. Um, it's been a really cool journey to kind of see how that's all come together, not without setbacks. Um, but it's, I, I feel like when you kind of chase after the things that you intuitively know are meant for you, uh, things work out. So Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, I think um, I think it's interesting how we get here, right? How uh, we, we form our worldview. And and I mean, with that, well, first of all, let's step back. I mean, you, you, you're here traveling a ton, right? Like, I think that's no surprise to anyone that knows who you are, period, end of story. Um, I mean, how many places do you think you you've gone in in the last two, three years? I know this year you're you're looking at a lot already. Oh, man, uh, well, I you know, in the last few years, I did a program called Semester at Sea. And so that was like 14 countries in itself. And then this this year, I think I've been at least three places every month. So take that. It's like at least 40 cities. So, I mean, some of that's for work. A lot of it's for fun. But for me, uh, at this point in my life, it's all about making memories with the people that I care the most about. So that's just how I prioritize my time. Yeah. How'd you get into travel? Because I've been a Delta baby my whole life, and I haven't traveled as much as you have. Yeah, I'm jealous. I need that uh, parent hookup. But, you know, I think that for me, I, well, the first time that I went out of the country was actually to Ukraine, which has been a place that's been a big point of interest in this last six months. 
Um, but I went and at the time while my friends were going on spring break, I was like 14 years old. Right. And everyone else was going down to Destin, getting their spray paint t-shirts and like having a great time. And I was in Ukraine, it was snowing and it was very different, but at the same time, so similar. And I think that I just found this like kinship with these people that felt like, it felt like it was the other side of the world, but it also felt so much like home. And I just wanted to know more about that connectivity that we have that, crosses all kinds of like language barriers and social barriers and you know all these things and I just became really addicted to learning more about the world and seeing it with my own eyes uh so I think that was what it was for me yeah and I mean that that travel bug that travel itch that desire to connect I mean do you still feel that same connectivity to Ukraine now especially in light of what's what's gone on more recently so interesting that you asked this because I know we haven't talked about this, but I actually was feeling a little bit not stir crazy at work, but just not completely fulfilled, even though I love my career. And so I found this program where I am teaching English to a Ukrainian student, and she's amazing. Um, her name's Natalie, but she's like 29 years old. She's an advanced English student, but we've been having so many discussions about the war about her perspective on it. Like, in fact, she actually took three months where she was living in the UK over the summer and she loved the people, but she said she hated the weather. And there was something that she felt like a nationalism for her country that was so strong. It was more than just the love that she had for her family and friends, but it was so strong that it made her want to go back. So she's back in Kiev and she just left the capital the other day when all the missiles like went off on Monday. Um, and now she's a little bit more outside of like the epicenter, but I just think she's incredibly, I mean, we were talking about how people are so resilient. And like, when I, I messaged her on Tuesday, I was like, are you good? Are you alive? And she was just like, yeah, a bit of an unusual morning, you know, <laughs> like you get so accustomed to just whatever your normal becomes. And I think it's really, I think that there's something, there's so much to say about the human spirit in that, but she's just wildly impressive to me. And to answer your question more simply, yes, I definitely still feel that kinship with Ukraine and, and care a lot about what's happening there. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you hear something like that from her, like, oh, just an unusual morning, and you're talking about the, um, the resilience of, of the human spirit or the body or the mind or what have you, do you think that there's more resilience outside of the U.S.? I think that because we are the country of like abundant luxuries, right? Like inherently kind of, why, why do I say that? No, 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 no. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what do you mean by that? Abundant luxuries? Oh, I mean the amount of imports that we have, just the variety of products that we have readily available to us, the Amazon effect, like everything, we're just the most spoiled country, <laughs> like in the world, honestly, from what I've seen. I mean, of course, there are other countries that also have these luxuries, but the US is just extravagant in what is readily available to you. Um, and I think there's an amount of that that makes people inherently more lazy or a little bit softer or do you know what I mean because you don't and I'm not just not saying that we don't have plenty of people that struggle in this country we absolutely do and there's plenty to figure out here but I do think that uh I guess it's less about the country and it's more about just what you've been through whether you become a resilient human being or not but I do inherently, I guess I have like my own stigmas about the U.S. and just us being a little bit uh, less resilient than other people. 
Yeah, but I mean, you've had some experience traveling, right? You've had some experience outside of the U.S. Can you can you speak to the differences, not only just just culturally, like in the macro, not hey, India does this and this country, like not not that, but just big differences that most people that are not um, travelers outside of the U.S. like even just amongst the states. I mean, what do people? What do people not see? What do people not know? What are the big differences between us spoiled Americans and uh, a lot of those other people? Well, I mean, a good example is in Africa, right? They just don't have as much farmable land and they don't have domesticatable animals like we do. So they aren't able to kind of create the plentiful crops that we have. So they can't have the fresh food that we have. And so when you're in certain parts of like Ghana are really just all over the country. People are eating rice out of bags. Like there's just not as much available to them. So their diet's very limited. They're not getting all the nutrients that they need. And these people, like people die every day in Ghana. And instead of looking at death as the end of a life and something to mourn and all these things, they look at it as a celebration. So everybody's dressed in bright colors and like there's a funeral, you know, there are funerals quite often, but people are out there dancing and partying and hugging each other and embracing each other and celebrating this life. Whereas we will go to a funeral and all be in black and be, you know, crying and just mourning um, the loss of a person. And so I think that was one of the most shocking contrasts that I really noticed was like in a country that was one of the most impoverished countries I'd ever been to in the, again, in the specific area that I was in. I met some of the happiest, most joyful people I've ever met. And they were just grateful for like every little thing that they had. Do you think that's because they don't have access or do you think that's because they're 10 toes down? They don't have technology. Like are we damned because we have phones and you and I are literally in the same city no, over I zoom? It's, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a choice, right? Like we create our own realities. I think that in moments like that though, you're challenged. And I, but I think that you and I talk about this a lot because we've been, I mean, granted we grew up in first world country. We both live in like Atlanta and we're very lucky to have all the privileges that we've experienced. And we've also had a lot of setbacks in our life that made us stronger people that made us more appreciative that like the contrast of the good and the bad makes you able to enjoy the good so much more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you see I the feel duality like... of life. Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. One of our favorite words, the duality, but I don't think that we're damned by any means. I just think that a lot of people lose perspective. Right. Yeah. Do you think that the, uh, the biggest thing that we share in common gave you the most perspective in your life? Do you think that the biggest thing that we have in common is our dads passing away when they did? Potentially. Maybe that's the first thing that we have in common at that age. Yeah, I Maybe guess I'm 18, curious 16. as to what you think the thing, the biggest thing that we have in common is. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we have in common is our ability to be open-minded, our ability to accept, um, not our ability to co-sign everything. We have very aggressive differences and opinions about certain things. And some of that being how we want to live our lives and others, maybe it's just to pick a, a random thing out. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, whatever. We don't agree on everything. Uh, you and I both know that very well, that we do not agree on a lot of things. But I think that our, our biggest commonality is acceptance. But I yeah. would argue that maybe that acceptance comes from us losing someone that was closer to us than literally anyone else around us has lost. Gave me, it gave me way more perspective. 
I almost had, because of being my dad's only son, the only way that I was able to step outside of his umbrella was by him dying. I know that sounds very drastic, but I was in his shadow. Everyone in our town knew him. Like I was Larry's son until he was dead. And then I was James. Wow. I didn't even realize that, honestly, but that is a big shadow to live underneath. And I think, I mean, to your point too, when you realize that you're the only person that's going to provide for you, that's also like an, a very empowering feeling and it puts a fire under your ass. And like, I don't know, it does make you, you were standing alone for the first time because finally people were seeing you for James, like to be James. Right. But then you really had to like stand fully in that. And even, I think that that prompts you to get to know who the fuck you are. Cause at that age, none of us do really. Right. Like we're all still trying to figure it out. But to your earlier point about like the whole acceptance thing, yeah, the more that you go through in life, I used to also feel like life was a series of steps, right? Like once I get here, I'm never going back. And it's not true. It's like, it's a cycle. And sometimes we like fall or we ebb and flow. It can, like, you can describe it as a roller coaster, whatever you want to say, but I'm a lot less apt to put absolutes on anything. Like I'll never do that again or whatever. And I feel like I used to judge myself so harshly um, when I would like, when I wasn't at my best. And that's just, we're all going to go through the good times and the bad. So do you think that you'll be ever through a worse time than losing your father? <laughs> and, or have you been through a time worse than losing your father? You know, it's, it's challenging to say, I definitely never thought that anything would measure up to that. And I will say from like a death perspective, and this might sound bad to say, but once you've gone through something that feels that catastrophic, especially at a young age, it definitely like makes your skin a little bit thicker so that when those things happen over and over again, it doesn't affect you quite in the same way. But the interesting thing I will say, um, and I'll be open enough to share this was I had a relationship recently and I never thought that I would get into a relationship that would like end as poorly as this one did, but it became, I, I use the word emotionally, like kind of abusive, very carefully, but I will say that that took me down to kind of a lower low than losing my dad, because look, my dad didn't leave by choice. First of all, I know he loved me unconditionally. And so there was a lot of like love and acceptance and hope that he was in a better place, even though he was gone. And then in this kind of relationship dynamic, when someone tears you down or brings you down to your lowest low and you think you're a strong person and you don't think that you're capable of like getting into a situation like that, I think it has you question a lot of things and can cause more emotional turmoil than like even losing someone, which is to death, which is kind of crazy. But how do you feel about losing your dad? Like, do you think anything will ever come close to that? Or how do you feel about it? I don't think that losing my dad was a bad thing. I think losing my dad is the first time that I was actually alive because I was just Larry Jr. with a different name. Legitimately. <laughs> I can't. First of all, I can't see myself as a, as a Larry. Dad, I love you if you're listening, but I don't like the name Larry. <laughs> I don't want that name, um, but I was basically Larry Jr. Straight up, you know, that's that's who I was. Um, I mean, <clears throat> growing up in the church and being around family and friends and everyone in the damn city knew my pops and knew my mom. 
you know, oh, there's Michelle and Larry just saving the world, right? Like I, I don't, I thought for a long time that no, it can never be this bad. No, dad leaving, that's the worst thing ever. I actually think it's one of the best things. And sorry, sis, if you're listening to this too, because like I wasn't as tight with him as some of my other family members were. I mean, I'm not even as tight with my mom as most of my sisters are. You know, uh, both of my sisters, I think, are, are tighter than my mom with my mom than I am. Um, but I think that it did force me to to take a path, right? To look at the fork in the road and say, I'm going to, with volition, go left or with volition, go right. And I think that being forced to make that decision hardened me in a way. And I think it almost calloused me to my detriment with romantic relationships for, for a, <laughs> a time um, because I, I didn't want to open up and even very much more recently didn't want to open up. Um, you know, when one of my previous uh, girlfriends and I split towards the end of 2021, right? Um, that was even callous then. I was like, nah, 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 get hurt. Get out of here. I don't have emotions. But I felt that fully. And if it wasn't for a uh, a young man in my life that introduced me to psychedelics, um, I'm not sure that I would have broken that perspective that quickly. And I say that and you know, I know that you're not worried about taboo. You did say fuck earlier. Um, so <laughs> here we are. Um, you may cuss as much as you want. You may talk about anything. It's all fair game. It's an open market here. Do what you will. Um, but, you know, I think that I think that it was it was a necessary it was a necessary thing for me to be my own man. And I think that for a long time, I held resentment for whoever unicity for whoever God for whoever the universe is that took him from me. I'm so angry. But after the second journey in the forest, legitimately, I think it was the best thing that could have happened to me. I love that. And I honestly feel that in such a big way. And I think that's why we really connect also because, you know, a lot of people, I do have actually several friends that lost their parents anywhere from their early twenties to their early thirties. And a lot of them still get like extremely sensitive talking about it where they'll just immediately break out in tears and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Completely understandable. But the question to me will be like, how are you so okay with this? But I'm like, for me, it was nothing else in my life would have happened if it didn't happen. How could I not be like in some way grateful for that? Because it was the biggest catalyst and wake up call of my entire life. And to your point, I mean, my first experience with psychedelics <laughs> I wasn't even trying to like have any kind of spiritual or emotional awakening. I was just trying to have a good time at a party. And I ended up like on the dance floor of a club, just typing a 10 page paper about life on my phone. All my friends are like, why do you have zero chill? But I mean, when something hits you like that, I mean, it really cured a lot of PTSD for me. It opened up my eyes to things that I had been missing before, like ways that I had been calloused as well and relationships and things that people wouldn't have even seen on the outside because on the outside, I was still such a warm person. I loved my partner, but like deep down, I always was keeping a hand extended to be like, I'm not going to be the one that gets hurt. I'll just get close enough that like, you know, I'll always have someone else care a little bit more. And that's it. Like, it's a shitty place to live in because you never let yourself fully dive in and love someone and be vulnerable and it's actually, I mean, as much as you have the potential to get hurt, it's the best feeling in the world once you can break those walls down. So yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, psychedelics as well. Psychedelics <laughs> and Dead Dad Club. Yeah, I, I would say that I would say that both really improved um 
my ability to connect with others, honestly. I not actually let me let me retract that statement about psychedelics. I don't think they made me able to connect with more people. What I think that it did was force me to look at myself in the mirror about things that I was lies I was telling myself, right? Like when you're standing in front of the mirror and you can see both sides, right? In those memes or the pictures or anything online or ads or what have you, and it looks different. I was just straight up lying to myself about certain things, lying to myself about who I was in some regards, lying to myself about what I wanted in some regards, not willing to get hurt. And was like, mm, I can't show you fully me because what if you say no? What if you reject me for who I truly am? That breaks a lot of hearts. That's mm. a lot different than someone being like, no, I'm not about it. And you're like, got it. I didn't even show you the real me. Sick. You didn't even know. Absolutely. And I, I mean, how much time do we take before we show people who we truly are too, right? I don't even think that I realized how much kind of mirroring I was doing in my first relationships. Like, you know, I dated someone for three years in high school and then I dated someone for eight years on and off, but starting when I was like 18 to 26. And like he, that was my longest relationship by a stretch. Cause obviously I'm not that old yet. So it would have to be. You're a grandma, you said? But you said? Yes. Clo I just take really good uh, care of my face. Good skincare you know, but, routine. Who are you sponsored yeah. by? <laughs> um, retinol. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it is funny because I think in my first relationship, it was so much about just wanting him to like, like me. Right. And so I would pick up on like things that he was passionate about and really dive into those. And I think we should all do that for our partner a little bit, like care about what they care about. But like, look, I'm not a sports girl. That's not my authentic self is just like a girl that wants to sit around and watch the games all weekend. And once I got older and I was like, I'm really comfortable standing in this truth and not being like a huge sports sorority girl, whatever, like it very much changed the people that I dated, but it felt so much better to be authentically me, to not be trying to put on airs to like impress someone. It doesn't really matter if someone likes you, if it's not really you. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, let me challenge you there though. Would you say that you and partner, whether it be a partner now, partner previously, or partner in the future, um, that you have to be all into the same things? No, not at all. And I think that's the refreshing thing. I mean, look, a lot of the guys that I date end up being into a lot of the same like things like golf and sports and all that shit. And that's all great. And guess what? Like we both have our own hobbies. That's good. That's healthy. And we spend time with our friends apart from each other. And then we spend time together and we both invest in like what the other person likes. And then we do our own thing. And I think that's actually great. I think that our generation is also letting go of the notion though, that you have to be together 24 seven and you have to agree on absolutely everything and you have to like you know walk in stride side by side every moment of the day in order to have a healthy relationship like I think that we're taking back ownership a little bit of our own lives and I think that's really a good thing yeah no I think it is too because I think that we don't need to be clones of one another right like that's not yeah. that's not what we're here to do um I had a thought and I just lost it I just lost it. <clears throat> what does a healthy relationship look like to you? You know, I'm still searching. <laughs> Too shy. <laughs> no, I um I don't know. I I felt in the in the past that there's been 
there's been relationships that I thought were healthy, but they were showing up for the person that I wasn't really. They were showing up and they would have been healthy if I was who I said I was. But there was a part of me that was mirroring my partner. There was a part of me that was hiding things that I felt shame for. There was a part of me that didn't want to step on my partner's toes because, oh, if I utter that I was, that I, I might, might not forever and always want this, or I might not forever and always want that, or I'm not sure about this, um, that I would be judged and I would be left and I would be abandoned. And it's, it's interesting because that's, that's a very real fear when you open yourself up. Like, um, am I going to be just kicked in the face and then kicked when I hit the ground? Or am I going to open myself up and maybe I'm not embraced fully, but I'm accepted. I mean, I'll take that over, over someone pretending to like something or pretending to be into something. But at the same time, I, I don't know. And here's where I was going to go. Um, because I think healthy relationships don't come down just to romance. I think the word relationship is taken out of context a lot. And I think that we love to assign it to just romance, but I think that there's more relationships than that. And I really would love your take on um, opposite heterosexual, opposite sex, platonic relationships. Oh, I mean, I think that they're so paramount, but I also live with a girl and two guys. So I live with a girl too that I don't date. So yeah, I hear you. If if my partner had a problem with me having close male friendships, then I we couldn't even be together from the jump. Do you know what I mean? But like I really support my partners to have close female relationships. And you just hope that those people are healthy and when they go to them for advice that they're giving good advice. Like I think you've said this on your podcast before like I mean you've got to really be in stride with who you are and how you feel inside because lots of different people are going to tell you lots of different things and it's not all going to be good advice but you hope that your partner's like core group female and male are like solid people but I really I think it's paramount and I actually I think that I go out with my guy friends more now in my current relationship than I did when I was single and my partner's completely comfortable with it because at the end of the day, if you don't have trust, like you don't have anything. Yeah. You think, is it, is it just trust that your partner partner is comfortable with? Like, is it just a trust that is a foundation of why your partner's comfortable with you going out with guy friends, you being heterosexual, right? Like, and I, I'm intentionally hammering this, right? Because I, I really <laughs> want to get to the core because I, I really just find that a lot of people are missing a lot of life by categorizing the opposite sex just for reproduction or just for romance. I think that that's, I think that's really dumb and very yeah. short-sighted. And I yeah. think that yeah. that is something that we got to unpack more. And so I want to beat the horse, right? Like, why do you think your partner is so comfortable? Is it just trust or are there other things? Or is it how well, he interacts with his people too? You know, I can't completely speak for him, but I will say- Great answer. He has been like doing his own thing for a long time. And I think that he's just like, he knows who he is and he knows, you know, that I don't know. I think he's just very comfortable with us both going off and having our own adventures and our own time. And whoever that's with, like, if you and I go out to lunch, I'll be like, yeah, I'm going out to lunch with my friend James today. And he'd be like, cool. But there's no secrecy, right? And there's no like weirdness. But I think, I mean, you pointed this out on one of the first times that we hung out. You were like, you know what? You have a really interesting mix of like the divine feminine and masculine energy. And you need a guy that like can stand really firmly 
in his masculinity, not like alpha male, not toxic masculinity, but just is like so assured of himself that he's unintimidated by, you know, you having male friendships, you being a certain way, you being a very strong, like independent person. And that's absolutely true. And I really, I want that for everyone. I want that for my partner too. Like, it's really, I think the thing that all of us want at the end of the day is really honesty. Like, I think even with cheating, when that happens, it's less about the physical act and it's more about the betrayal of trust, right? Like that's what really fucks people up. So like when you're able to just be honest with your partner and continue to live your life, you also don't feel like you're sacrificing everything that was before for the sake of the relationship, which can also build resentment. It can small, like make your world smaller. Like imagine if you had to give up every single girlfriend that you had in order to have a girlfriend, that's not healthy. I've been asked to do that multiple times in my life. I know you have, but like, here we are, right? Because that doesn't work. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can, I can create distance for some time. I, I can pretend that I'm that person that is cool with that. I can pretend to want to care about boundaries and like, oh yeah, babe, you should know what all of our conversations are with my girlfriends that are strictly platonic. But the fact of the matter is I don't believe that you trust me or you don't until I give you a reason to drag me through the streets behind your car because I broke your trust and betrayed you. What are you talking about? Uh, you know what I mean? sounds like a real experience that happened to you. <laughs> it didn't. That would kill me. But um, yeah, no, like legitimately, I uh, I think that that's, that's one of the biggest things that I've been asked every single time I've dated somebody. Just about. Not every single person. Let me not lump everyone in there, but the majority. Like, hey, it's really weird that you have all these girlfriends that I'm intimidated by because they're attractive, that are also strong women that you're, you're, you could be attracted to that are your friends. How about you drop all of them and just spend time with me? And in fact, if you prioritize them over me, wah, 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 I don't think this is going to work. Like, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> I think there's such a balance too. And it's tough because I know that you're already an extremely busy person that has a hard time making time for just about anyone. And like, honestly, I have had, I think that I see my current partner right now, we're averaging like once or twice a week. And that's Mm -hmm. like making intentional effort, right? Like this trip we're about to take, we've been dating for five months. And I think this is the first time that we'll spend more than two, maybe maximum three days in a week (laughs) together, but it's different now. And I think it's a very, I mean, it's a very different dynamic than anything that I've had before. And at first I was even thrown off by it. And I'll admit that because every guy that I dated in the past, it became, you know, it's all the oxytocin and all the other things. And you're like magnetized and obsessed with each other. And you want to spend like all this time together. And it was like, Oh my God, why are you not obsessed with me? Why don't you want to be with me like 24 hours a day? But then it became like this extremely healthy thing. I was like, oh, wow, I still get to put all my time into my hobbies, my health, my friends, like all this stuff that I was not neglecting, but like not making time for. And I think when your relationship starts that way, so hot and heavy too, it's harder to pull away because then it seems like there's some kind of problem. It's like, oh, why are you distancing now? Whereas when you start a little bit slower, it's like, oh, we we have like our pace and our way of going about life. And I think that you slowly actually start building more time in. 
And it's a completely different shift. And again, first time I've ever done it this way, but now I'm like, it's actually, it's good, you know? So slow and steady wins the race. I guess that's what they say. Well, the finish line for the race has not come yet. So we will hold our (laughs) breath. Yeah. No rings. No rings and no death either. Right. No. We haven't reached the finish line yet. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, do you spend any time with any people that sit on the other side of the table with you on that? Sit on, sit on the other side of the table. Hey, you shouldn't have girlfriends. If you're a dude, you should have girlfriends that are platonic. And as a man, you shouldn't have girlfriends. Like, do you have any friends, any girlfriends like that? Or any dudes that used to be in your life that don't spend time with you because of that? I mean, yes, we live in Georgia. So a ton of people are like incredibly traditional, right? About the way that they see things. And that's, you know what? That's totally fine. My thing now is like, whatever works for you and your partner, if that's what works for y'all, then more power to you. But I mean, yeah, of course I used, it used to be that all of my closest friends were guys and you know, I think the natural progression of most relationships, and I'm lucky that this isn't the case with like my very best guy friend, his girlfriend loves when we spend time together and very much encourages the relationship. And she and I are very close. But I think the fact that she was so counter the norm, like the norm is to not be that way. Right. So I have a ton of friends that sit on the other side of the table, but the fact that she wasn't that way is actually what made her so perfect for him and him feel so like free and he and I inherently spend way less time together anyways, but there's just like a respect that he has for her and vice versa, where like, I don't know, just everybody's happy and like comfortable. And I just, I wish that that was always the case, but how about, I mean, I know that you've struggled a lot with that, with close girlfriends, when they've gotten into relationships with your girlfriends yourself. I mean, do you think that you've had any instances where that hasn't been the case? two very close friends to me feel as though their partners shouldn't spend time with men. Like they feel very strongly about it. Two people that are very close to me. And those two people I love with all my heart, love both of them gentlemen. Um, But I strongly disagree. I strongly disagree. I think that that's to the detriment of both partners, them and their partners um, and the development of their relationships like what happens if you're out of their life? What strong man is in their life that they can lean on if they need the masculine or if they need for whatever? And we're not playing gender roles here. I'm not saying, oh, you need to move a couch. Like, fuck, you can hire someone to move a couch, like whatever. Um, but those relationships, I think, are such a, a counterbalance to the energy that you put off yourself. And sometimes it gives you a reprieve from what you're doing day in, day out. But I also think that it's interesting that both of those two people, they don't date women who are strongly in the masculine. They yeah. date women that are in the feminine. Absolutely. Because you vote, with your, you vote with your dollars, you vote with your time, you vote with your actions, right? At the end of the day, right? They say one thing and they say that everyone can do da-da-da, but then they tighten the reins down in their own life, right? And date a woman that's more feminine energetically than masculine i'm not talking about someone that's on gear that's jacked up (laughs) it's not what i'm saying (laughs) for anyone that's listening to this and like what the hell are you talking about but i think it's very interesting because i get along with those dudes right we have a fun a fundamental belief that personal responsibility is 
Paramount above everything. But it's interesting to me that there's not reciprocity on their behalf with their partners having platonic relationships with dudes. I wish that people could experience what it's like to have like a healthy opposite gender relationship. Cause I mean, for me, if I'm talking to one of my best guy friends, he's actually going to help me see it more from my partner's perspective in a way that I probably couldn't see it. And that's a healthy dynamic, right? Like he is there to help to, to be like a mending agent and to try to like help me through whatever I'm trying to figure out. But I mean, yeah, I just, I feel like beyond that, energetically, we're so balanced by the opposite energy. Do you know what I mean? And if you're in a really healthy place with your partner, spending time with another guy for me is just going to make me love my partner more. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm still excited to go home to them at the end of the day. I'm not like, out trying to date other people every time that I hang out with a guy. And I think that's, that's the unfortunate thing is like, to your earlier point, it's really just all about uh, how much confidence you have in yourself. Yeah. And I found a lot of times partners are just projecting, right? Just like most people when they object to something in any regard, you're just projecting. You got something that's on your mind. Maybe it has everything to do with me or maybe it has nothing to do with me. Um, but the people that were always so aggressively against me having platonic female friends are the same ones that cheated on me mm. because their view of the opposite sex was different than mine was. Their view in totality was reproductive and romantic and yeah. lust, but like let's lump the three together. But yeah. those three areas uh, were really the only place that they viewed the opposite sex. Like, hey, those the dudes in the bar, they hit on me. I go home with them or I date them or they're hot or yada, yada, whatever. Very fascinating, though, that the only people that ever pushed back aggressively in relationships with me, like aggressively, aggressively, like no wiggle room were the same ones that cheated on me. Yeah, I mean, the math is not hard. There. <laughs> it's like no. because they knew themselves no. and they knew that they were incapable of being faithful in those situations. They doubted that you were capable of being faithful as well. Yeah, and I think that that but I think that if you blow that up, that's a micro you blow that up to the macro, though, I think that that then becomes it's a chicken and egg situation, right? Like, okay, I know I wouldn't be able to do this in this situation. So I'm actually going to project that someone else wouldn't be able to do it. But then I'm going to go bigger and say, now no one should ever be in this situation, because I can't handle myself in this situation. Right. But also Excuse sometimes me, these things that are our deepest fears that we then project onto our partners, and it like spirals and becomes this biggest, this bigger thing. <clears throat> can also become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, if you hang out with other women, you're going to cheat on me. And they like harp and harp and harp on it so much, you know, that it's almost like it pushes you away. And ironically, the thing was that you never would have even thought about that before. Yeah. And so I think that, I mean, there's just so much, I think to circle all the way back to our very first conversation about losing our dads early and the journey that set us on. I'm so grateful that it happened to us when we're so young because you just start on this journey at a younger age. So now that I'm 31, I feel like I've been finding my way through all these relationship dynamics and figuring out who I am and all that stuff for the last like 
what, 13, 14 years, like really steadfastly. And I, I do think that you have to be incredibly intentional to grow beyond those places of discomfort, insecurity, whatever it is. And those things can really set you back in a relationship. But I think I'm also grateful that in you know our current society, we're not so gung-ho on like settling down at 24 because I think a lot of us realize that making lifelong decisions at that age is probably not, it's not going to work for most of us, you know, because you change a lot and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I'm definitely glad to be thinking more about that now as opposed to back in the day when I was just trying to pay my, trying to stay above the red line. Yeah. Do you think that that we're not getting married at 24 because we're actually thinking about that? Or do you think that we're not trying to get married at 24 because we see so many people that are in their thirties, forties, fifties getting divorced? Well, I think that that think plays one the same. It, right. Yeah. I think that they coincide for sure. Um, luckily that was one of the lessons that like, we didn't all have to learn for ourselves. We actually could look at the generation above us and be like, maybe that wasn't the way to do it. But I mean, it's so many things, right? We have limitless options available to us because of the rise of social media. We have more opportunity than ever to really invest in ourselves. And that's something that's also really, um, there's a lot of emphasis put on that, especially in American society. And so we're just going about everything very differently. Like getting married used to be the next step after college. Like it was just the next rung on the ladder. And now we're like, nope. There's plenty of time in the middle to figure it out. And that's, I think, actually a really beautiful thing. But a lot of people don't choose to grow during that time. And I think that's the great irony is like age does not equate to, you know, growth or maturity, right? Yeah. People love to use the axiom though. With uh, with age comes maturity. No, no, no. I think <laughs> no. maturity comes with um, going through the damn storm of experience right? If you can make it out to the other side, you can, you can, you can definitely have wisdom. If you don't make it out, well, guess no wisdom. Guess you're not here. Yes. You're just living. Yeah. Um, social media. Do you mm. think it's uh macro benefit? Oh my gosh. I watched so many Ted talks and like have so many opinions on this. Oh, I want Katie's opinion. I don't want any of this. Ted oh talk man. Thanks, well, so. you know, I would say, you're welcome to reference them though. Opinion. <laughs> this is so I'll get a little anecdotal for me, my career, right? Social media, huge benefit. Wouldn't have my career without it. That is, in fact, like where I do all my advertising. But beyond that, it was an incredible way for me to build a portfolio and market myself to a broad audience to get work. I mean, I'm an I was a studio art major. A lot of us end up selling paintings on the side of the road for like not a whole lot of money in a little festival tent. You know what I mean? No, a lot of people and, still doing that. A few people <laughs> listen to this podcast that still do that. I mean, and again, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I wanted like, I wanted to go a little bit more of like a strategy route. I always loved the intersection of business and art and psychology that was advertising. And luckily social media gave me a platform to take my work post-college and like make it into something that people could easily see and absorb. And I got to just have fucking fun with it, you know, which was great. But then you look at the way that social media impacts. I mean, again, we were the kind of the last frontier that grew up outside 
you know, as we were coming into the rise of social media, we had to deal with dial up back in the day. Like it wasn't something that we just readily had access to 24 hours a day during those really important teen years that are really difficult for people. And so when you look at the numbers of like depression and obesity and suicide cases and all this stuff with these like 14 year old kids, you're just like, I mean, we've got to put limits on it, right? Because it can be incredibly powerful and it can be a way to share inspiration and to reach out to people that you wouldn't get to see so often. Like it can be such a powerful device, but I think so often it's just used as a platform of comparison. And it like, because we're not teaching our kids enough about like really loving themselves the way that they are and, and putting time into like, look, no one wants to even try anything anymore because they're too afraid to be bad at something. Like you feel like you have to be great at something for it to be worth anything. And there's so many people that are better than you. So what's the point of even fucking getting started? So I feel like, I don't know, as you can see, I'm like arguing both sides of it back and forth and back and forth in my own mind, because I think it is what you make of it. But especially for the younger kids, like how can we control what they make of it? Yeah. So, I mean, for someone that's, that's between our ages, right? So someone that's, let's even just say 25 to 35, right? The people that did not come up with a smartphone in your hands. Like I had a Motorola razor when I was in little league playing baseball, right? Mm -hmm. That I got like a few calls on my parents' plan on Sprint. I didn't have anything else there. Right. But for us, 25 to 35, anyone in that range, right. That did not grow up in the wake of that, Right. Because I get it. I don't, I don't know how to parent. I don't have a kid. Um, we had uh, on the 20 podcast, the CMO and the CPO of Bark Technologies that does um, child monitoring on phones for social media and all kinds of stuff for suicidal ideation, for bullying, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a fascinating conversation to hear just how deep the intricacies are of what it looks like for parenting in a tech world. Like that is ridiculous. And I, if I decide to have kids, I'm going to have to figure that out. But that is something that I'm, I'm not looking at currently. So, um, but for 25 to 35, I mean, in your opinion, where's the responsibility come back to, right? Cause we didn't have this when we were kiddos, right? Should we be comparing ourselves or, or should we be in love with the process? Should we not mandate that anyone does anything should must could would have to like, where's the responsibility? Yeah, it's hard to say. And I think, you know, this could even kind of snowball into entirely different uh, subject. I actually joined the robotics team at work because deep down I'm a huge nerd, but I also just wanted to keep up with kind of what was happening with Web3, right? And so we're talking about these kids being able to build their own worlds, but in and the web- central land it, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, like yeah. literally buy property as children. Yes. <laughs> And like in the end, they don't have, I mean, you put a credit card on that bad boy and these kids run up hundreds and thousands of dollars of buying like coins and stuff. And so as a parent, you're like, shit, what do you do? But I mean, beyond the monetary part of it, there's no, like they're building their own world. So you can't control the ads that come in. You can't control like any of the things that these kids are seeing in this world that they're creating. And I think that's very scary. It's like, what are the parental controls going to look like on that? And we don't even have a concept. I mean, I don't know if you have like an Oculus set at home, but I've only used it a couple of times and I really don't have any concept of what that looks like or the long-term effect of like living in this fantasy world. I just know that the few times I've used it, 
And it's been incredible, by the way. It is an amazing thing, but you take it off and you're like shell-shocked by how weird and normal the world around you is, right? It's bizarre, but you're like, oh, it's it's the very, uh, what's the name of that movie? Ready Player One? It's Have you ever seen that? About no, I'm going to have like to watch it now. Post-apocalyptic world. And this, yeah, you'll have to watch it. But I think anyone who's seen it would understand that it's, yeah, it's got some dark undertones to it. And I think that there could very much be that kind of like effect on the future generations that get really heavily into it. Yeah, we talk about brain health. I mean, virtual reality or anything that's like smacking the dopamine over and over and over and over and over. When you come out of that, I mean, what are you but depleted? What are you but laying around? I mean, it's the same. And this is not in relation to kids, but just in general, like the same thing with porn, right? People are overstimulated, right? And they watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. These people are getting paid to do this. There's lighting sets around. There's $12,000 cameras. There's shitty acting. And there's a whole (laughs) lot of production that goes into these things. That is not what real life looks like. Not everyone looks like a hairless cat, right? Not everyone looks like a horse, okay? Like using yeah. metaphors here, but like let let come on, let's be honest. Like people, I think that that's a lot of the a lot of the reason why we're lacking some intimacy. And I'm not a relationship coach, right? But people go down that path all day. Like if you consume 40 hours of porn, how do you think you're going to interact with someone that you're trying to um, you're trying to have relations with? Probably like they do in pornos, and that's not real life. Exactly, because porn is inherently it's meant to be selfish, right? Like there's porn that's, that's made for men and there's porn that's made for women. And at the end of the day, it's all about you. But like, hopefully in a healthy relationship, you're actually, I mean, have all the kinds of like freaky sex that you and your partner consensually want to have. That's fucking great. But also like, do you know how to make love? Do you know how to please your partner? Or is it all about you? Like, and I think that that's where you can't blame guys when they're first hooking up with girls and all that they know how to do is what they've been watching since they're like 14 or been, 10 they, or they however Jack, young. Jack Rabbit McGee. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Winner. <laughs> it's like a slot machine. <laughs> yeah. It lasts that long too. One pull. Yeah. There um, you go. There you go. But yeah, it's, I mean... I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, James. I think that we're both lucky that we don't have to think about keeping our kids from it for several more years. We can figure that out down the road. That is not a today problem as far as right. we both uh, Yeah, I would not like it to be a today problem. Like yeah. We can, we can, I, I think we're both on the same page there. Um, yes. Well, let's segue into to personal responsibility in the macro, like outside of social media. Um, I think that it's no surprise to everyone that knows who I am that it's personal responsibility over everything straight up. You're responsible for anything and everything that happens to you might not have been your fault. I agree with Mark Manson and David Goggins and Jocko Willink and everyone else that has spouted that in a book or on a podcast. But I also believe that it's your job to figure it the fuck out. And I don't know where we got off the horse, but if you have any idea where people got off the horse and skirted responsibility for quite literally everything, Uh, I would love your two cents there. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, my mom's a counselor, so she could talk to you about just a lot of different things. There's no one answer, right? But we see a lot of kids who don't get 
proper attention when they're young and like that love and the coddling and everything that you get between the ages of zero and three can very much influence the way that you interact with people and your ability to form secure connections and your ability to take personal responsibility and all these things. Like if you are so mistreated at certain ages, you don't even have the capacity to like really connect with or empathize with other people and you like become very manipulative. So that's one example, but there are also people that just don't have incredibly secure connections. They become anxious avoidant. They don't know how to respond to any kind of criticism. They don't know how to take personal responsibility. So they'll just finger point. And I know a ton of people that are really, really good at blaming everybody else, everybody else. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about like partners that would project their biggest demons onto you. It's like, they haven't dealt with their own shit. They haven't been able to look at their shadows. And I'm so glad in yoga now that we, like when we finish a practice now, a lot of teachers don't say like, I honor all of the light in you. They say all the light and all of the dark. Like I honor everything that is inside of you because that's who we really are as humans. And I think until people can get comfortable with that, like we're flawed and that's okay. And then beyond like, I'm flawed, I am the person that's responsible for my whole life, my narrative, everything that like happens to me in a way beyond like the things that you cannot control at all, but you are responsible for the way that you respond to them. Like that just is a whole concept that people don't get to, but a lot of people are too busy out distracting themselves, right? Like they're seeking pleasure and not happiness. And in the world that we live in now, it's so easy to be in a constant pleasure loop, dopamine drip, whatever, and to just negate all responsibility. So I don't know if that like really answered your question, but I have a lot of different <laughs> opinions on what causes this. Yeah. You said they're in a, <clears throat> a dopamine drip, um, or kind of going around a cycle there and they're not, they're not prioritizing happiness. Is happiness the goal? I think for me, the way that I define happiness would make it the goal. But I think that lot, like, I mean, first of all, in American culture, we define happiness as euphoria and bliss. In Asian culture, we define happiness as peace and serenity. So mm. like, okay. it de also depends on the way that you, yeah, on the way that you define that. But for me, happiness, like, doesn't come without fear or rejection or, you know, a long swim swallowing lots of salt. Like happiness comes because you break through all of that and you have those, both the good and the bad experiences. And that is happiness. Like pleasure is just a chasing of your own tail um, and just constantly seeking another bigger, better high. And so that's like the way that I define it in my, in my head. Yeah, I was going to push back heavy on you with happiness, but that makes sense because I think that peace is the goal. And yeah, I think peace comes from acceptance, that which you can control and that which you cannot control. But I think that it's interesting sometimes when people just throw the low hanging fruit of happiness, like, oh, if I'm not, ha if I'm ever sad, I'm not on the path. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. The opposite of what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, I guess the the Eastern definition of that um, is one that I like. I like better because I think that. I think that happiness can also be a distract, like chasing the feeling of happiness, just like making or assigning capital M meaning to sadness being negative. Is sadness negative? I don't think so. I think sadness is just another feeling, right? Depression, a, a different story here. A lot of people, I'm not even gonna go down that rabbit hole, but people also, you know, you can talk about trauma, right? What does trauma mean? 
clinically, I mean, there's a, there's a definition, right? And contextually in society, there's a definition, but are either of them right? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, we jokingly throw the word trauma around my house a lot because like three out of the four of us have lost a parent and been through some other really like hard shit. And so we'll just, we'll joke about like the trauma in a, in kind of, I think that that's a really healthy thing. You're too. a horrible like, person. Too. I know. I was like, fuck. but to me, like humor is such an amazing way of like creating joy out of something that was really painful. Right. And when you get to a point where you're comfortable enough to be like, okay, that I'm no longer going to let that affect me in a negative way. I'm going to like make light of it. I think that that's like a really, really good thing. I think that we have come down incredibly hard on comedians in the last year. So I am like nervous to say anything that's going to make anybody like have flashback or feel uncomfortable. And that's, I never mean to do that, but like for my own personal story, I think it's been really good to, to make light of some of the really shitty things that have happened, you know? Yeah. I think comedy is needed in society, the society that we have now. I think a lot of comedians are, are held to a standard that the people that are criticizing them don't even hold themselves to. Definitely not. And it's their, it's their job. That's literally, (laughs) they're, they're paid. We pay them. We pay them to go on stage and say obscene things to make us laugh. Yes. To create some sort of reprieve from the fuckery that is the world. Yes. Right? Like we pay them to do that. How are we then to slap that hand and put them in timeout or cancel them, rip their accounts off the internet or boycott oh their gosh. shows when we still watch their stuff on Netflix? Come on. Well, that's the thing too. We are digging back into things that they tweeted in like 2006 and yes, I don't think that those things were appropriate and I'm not going to like list any specific examples, but it's just like, we are the standard that we hold people to. We don't extend them the grace that we wish that people would extend to us. Right. And so I think that's the hard part. Yeah. Or maybe the expectation. We don't extend them the grace that we would expect those, not even like want, but expect people to give us a pass on. Yeah. Have you ever gone back and read any of your Facebook statuses from 2009? You're like, I don't know that person. That is embarrassing. And they don't have to be bad things. You're just like, shit, I was a different person then. I would never say that or post that now. Yeah. All the is stories. Like, oh my God. Yes. And then whatever you're doing. And when they took the is away, none of it makes sense anymore. (laughs) Running down the street. James Gillespie running down the street. What? Oh, um, I love it. I fortunately, <laughs> uh, and unfortunately for everybody else, I deleted all that stuff. When I was going through the federal law enforcement track and I was uh, in interviews and whatnot, I scrubbed everything from the internet. So I had to come back from zero when I got out of law enforcement because I was like, no chance I'm having these screenshots from 2002 on literally my background investigation. Honestly, so. that is for the best. I envy you, friend. Yeah, and my swoopy hair with a big gap in between my teeth, wearing um, <laughs> plaid on plaid. Wait, how is that different there. than now? Shut your mouth. <laughs> I have no large gap, you dickhead. And my hair is better, actually. Shout out to the plug. Your hair is very nice. Shout out to the plug. Uh, Jody Gryship in Atlanta. Solid nice. woman. Cuts my hair really just like once a year. And then it just grows. And here we are. I mean, yeah, you've got a better blowout than I do right now. Yeah, it's not blown out. It's just dry shampoo, baby. That's just how it is. Yeah. It's impressive. Uh, it's actually been really weird to have long hair. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been since high school. But oh, wow. It has been yeah. a long time. Because you're like in your 40s now, right? 
Okay. All right. Is that by my bedtime? Is that why you're saying that? (laughs) This is the part where I accidentally kick you off this. Like, whoops, what happened to the internet? I'm into the retinol jokes. I mean, I was just going one for one there. Um, (laughs) No, I think you were saying something earlier, though. We were talking about the serotonin drip and porn and all these other things that people do on the regular. And it made me think tangentially about what you do for work and getting people to actually boost their serotonin endorphins everything through working out and like how paramount has that been in your journey and like in the way that you see all these relationships that you're building now i feel like in that space yeah i would say that it's broken my beliefs in a in a handful of ways um you know i really turned on turned on the volume and i remember when we uh one of the what was that one of the last times that we hung out um and i was like katie it's just going to be when the ads go on i'm going to the moon. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I am not on the moon currently. Um, I'm living, I've learned so much and I've been forced to grow so much this year um, in sales and not uh, letting transference be a thing of emotions. Because the biggest thing that I've found in in doing the coaching in person, online, taking 300 plus consultations with random people that don't know who I am this year in 2022 was that I used to do a shitty job and I'm much better about it on the back of those 300 now, but I used to do a shitty job with transference. And what I mean by that, and I could be completely botching what this is, but when people dump their problems to you when people dump their emotions and people dump their trauma and people are talking to you, it's very, very easy. If you're taking copious notes and actually paying attention to take all of that on. So it was essentially day in, day out, taking four to five calls, shows like 15 calls booked, but 30% of them showing up, but day after day, taking on other people's problems for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time with no way to get rid of them, not separating my identity from the role of a salesperson, not separating my identity, my personal identity from my role as a coach and not being able to get out of the place and down-regulate and release all of these things. And it fucked me up bad. It fucked me up bad. The problems that I thought that we had in the health and wellness space from a coaching perspective are not the problems that I now know that we do have. Wow. But I used to get so frustrated that people wouldn't take the program seriously, wouldn't take the ad seriously, wouldn't take their life seriously. And it wasn't until actually Jessica Alvarez, Dr. Jessica Alvarez that I had on the podcast came out on Monday. Um, she goes to the gym that I'm, I manage up in Brookhaven. And, uh, we started, we've, <clears throat> we've become closer friends and we started working out a good bit. And, um, it was interesting one day she's a registered dietitian published 158 times. And she looked at me and was like, James, I, I quite literally think you are going to kill yourself trying to save the world. You need to relax. You need to let go of having, of thinking that you have any control over any of these people's lives. When they're ready, they will be there. You can lead them to the decision if they're open to it. But if they're not open to being led, you cannot do a damn thing. No. If they're not open to having someone help them with decision, right? It's not that, that I think that if someone throws an objection that you can't overcome it. Absolutely. But those people that are willing to give you information are willing to be led or they wouldn't be speaking. So like there's so many people that I thought like I'm failing these people. I'm not doing my my due diligence as a coach. I'm not doing I'm not 
in my highest power as a coach. I'm not helping people. These people are literally morbidly obese. They've got type two diabetes. They've got UC, they got IBS. They got, you know, 75 pounds overweight. They're five, two, they're two twenty, right? That's like 120 pounds overweight. Like I'm failing people and they're going to die early because of it. And while I think that I do have an opportunity to show them a path, they also, this comes right back to personal responsibility. It's on them. And it was funny that I just had to get the shit kicked out of me with volume of ads and consultations to realize that the same thing that I believed for me, I was stopping and trying to not believe for them. And I put it back on me. Like it was my responsibility. And it wasn't. And it isn't. At the end of the day, if you fall off, you fuck around, you don't want to pay attention to the protocols, you don't want to do what you need to do, I can only help you as much as you let me help you. Absolutely. And I knew that going into it, and I know that now, and I knew that what was happening, but I wasn't willing to look at it. You still wanted to believe that it could be different. That I could save them. And not because I have a hero complex, because I want a movie to be made about me, but because literally I was seeing people day in, day out that are morbidly obese that quite literally will probably die 7 to 12 years early from the average age. And I took in everything. And it wasn't what I should have done, but it was a, it was an obstacle that I had to go through. I think that's hard though, because when you're a compassionate person and you've like been through a lot, I mean, I, I definitely still don't have any kind of savior complex, but I want to make the world a better place. Like I really do. And so I think that you're just trying to have your small impact on your corner of the world, however it may be, like whether it's with your friends or with the people that you work with. But I mean, you look at the numbers in the US of obesity and I think it's higher than any other country, right? 67%. Yeah, I mean, that is crazy. And of course you wanna be part of like a change. I mean, we know, we live in the information age. We know too much about, you know, the numbers and the way that things look. And of course you want to help people like hopefully build healthier, happier lives. I think that to your point though, I mean, even for me with my own fitness journey, I used to be someone that worked out like two days a week. And now it's like seven workouts a week. But the only thing that changed in that equation was a choice that I was making. Right. And I live with a like fitness instructor and she'd be on my ass every day. Like Katie, go to the gym. And I'd be like, I'm good. You know what I mean? But like, I definitely take personal responsibility for that. I feel better than I ever have now, but I don't know when that gear switches. It doesn't matter how many times someone tells you to do something. You've got to want it for yourself. Yeah. You got to be in the pain cave, right? You got to look down and say, shit, I don't like how this stuff feels. I don't like how I look. I'm avoiding pictures. I don't want to be around other people that are more fit than me. When you start being repulsed by walking through a store when people are a different (laughs) size than you, I think that's when it happens. And like- I don't know. I feel like I was able to like hide in it. Like I wasn't Katie. I was, did you see yourself when you were not working out? I am saying I was not healthy though. I was thin. I weigh more now for sure. I got to stay away from the scale now because it'll fuck up my mentality. I want to be like, you know, a certain weight that, uh, you know, our childhood tells us as women that we should be to be 
like beautiful. And like, we get so distorted about what this number is that even as a 31 year old woman, sometimes I have to catch myself and just be like, but how do you look in your clothes? How do you feel? It's all about how I feel. And I know that I feel better than I've ever felt. And also I get to enjoy more food, which is great. You get more lean muscle mass. You have more leniency. You can eat like shit more days in a row without it affecting you for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Like just working out has so many wonderful properties to it. But I think the biggest thing is that it makes you feel like mentally stronger and more secure, even beyond all of the amazing physical benefits, right? Like I just feel more sure of myself than I ever have. And I think that that is directly correlated to to getting in the gym every day. Yeah. I think that there's something to be said for carrying the boats, like the mental fortitude, like the David Goggins approach, right? I, I don't think anyone needs to go break their legs, but um, yeah. I mean, metaphorically speaking, if you, if you do hard shit, a lot of things you'll find perspective in. Like eh, you can have a lot of perspective being up under a bar in a workout with your heart rate through the roof, go do something hard physically, and it will rock you more mentally than anything else. I agree with that. Speaking of, how do you feel about uh, ice cold showers? For what benefit? Like for the, I mean, apparently it has an incredible like endorphin release, but beyond that, it's supposed to make you like more acutely aware in the morning and just have all these like amazing mental properties. I'm someone that could never put myself in an ice cold shower. First thing. Yeah. I mean, ice cold showers and ice cold baths are the same kind of the same reason, unless you're talking about ice baths, like post a lot of volume. Um, I mean, it delays the healing process. That is really just for recovery. Like if you're going to go into an ice bath, because you got a lot of volume back to back to back to back to back. They do it at the CrossFit games. They do it in, in sports, right? When yeah. you have games back to back, it's very good for that. But the mental shock that is a cold shower, that is a cold plunge. It is a polar plunge naked with your wanky out in the middle of the night, right? Jumping off a deck that can also have big benefit. But that's really for you to have to wrestle with the mind. Because when you hit that cold water, especially if you're coming off, right, booty bone naked, off the top of a deck into a lake, and it's freezing, not actually freezing because you would hit ice, but freezing outside, um, you have to reckon with your fear of the water. You have to reckon with your fear of the amygdala hijack, right? Like, what do you do? Most people freeze. Most people run away. Most people think that they're, the strong warriors that will fight when time comes. But most people are little bitches and they go sit in yeah. the corner. Are you fight or flight? In what scenario? I guess that's true. It definitely depends on the scenario. I thought you were immediately just going to be like fight. No, I mean, I think that there's, I think there's some discernment that comes with, with carrying a badge and carrying a gun. And I think that there's, there's some times where it's not worth it to try to fight especially when you have people around you that more harm will come to them if you try to prove yourself. And I think that's so situational and that's so anecdotal and just one sliver. Um, But all day, like people are in danger, fight. Let's go. Any day, any weapon, let's go. But me by myself, there's probably much less instances that I'm going to do that. I'll absolutely just run the other way. Don't have to protect anyone. No, I'm not. Engage in this? No, thank you. No, thank you. I feel as that. a grown ass man. No, no. I feel that. It's one thing. It, it is one thing. If my life is threatened, well, actually, and in those times, if there's no one else around, no. See ya. 
If we're close, if we're far enough away for you to pull a gun, you better be able to shoot on a zigzag because I'm out of here. No chance. No chance. I mean, no, I'm glad it, to hear it. Yeah, it's it's situational though, right? Because um, to defend uh, someone that's that's a third party, that's a bystander, that's in a store if something happens, to, to lay my life down, not to be the hero, not to make the right shot, not to be on the news, but to be willing to lay my life down for someone else in there. I think that that's different than like you catch me on the street and someone's trying to jump me like, and I'm by myself. No, I don't have an ego. See ya. Hope you're fast. You know what I mean? Yes. A hundred percent. Straight up. So I also, I mean, the times that I have gone, I've happened a couple of times, but like I, the first time I was 20 and I was sassy and I was just like, yeah, I just saw you take my money and my camera, like give it back. And the guy was like, oh, so you want to get beat up and then I'll take it. It's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. So from now on, you can just have it. Like, I don't know why I thought that I was going to be some like intimidating force where he was just going to kindly give me my stuff back. But luckily we hopefully get a little bit smarter with age, a little bit more street smart. Didn't have that back then. Yeah. Um, I'm traveling. I don't have a camera out. It's in a bag and it's usually on my front or no outside zippers. This was a small, this was like a point and shoot that I had in my. All right. The last thing that I heard was you put it in your um, technical difficulties, guys. Um, you put it in your pocket. You had a point and shoot in your pocket and then it just went blank. Oh yeah. I had a point and shoot in my pocket. So these guys just came up to me. I wasn't carrying a purse. I was trying to be very thoughtful discreet. about the yes very discreet and they just came and put their hands right in my front pockets pulled everything out pushed me into a wall and they were like see ya so i mean i think that's an interesting thing too you can never be too cautious if you're on the wrong street at the wrong time shit's gonna happen but that's why you just gotta be a little bit more i am a lot more planned these days than i used to be uh when traveling abroad for sure yeah situational awareness is not only something you need abroad though here in no. the streets out no. here, people are getting stabbed outside Piedmont Park, getting shot at, at Hyde Nightclub. People nice. are getting run over in the street when they walk out off the sidewalk. You know that that time that, that happened um, with, I forget his last name, but Ethan, um, when he got hit in Buckhead? Mm. He was like in 30 that night. He was like out and about, literally stepped off the sidewalk and smack. That's it awful. is ridiculous. You can be minding your own business. You can be doing your own thing. Um, and, uh, you still got to be situationally aware and, um, it's unfortunate, but it is life. Life isn't fair, really, you know? Absolutely. That is the interesting thing though. People ask me all the time. I just went to Turkey with a few girlfriends last month and everyone was like, aren't you worried to go to the middle East right now? It's so dangerous, blah, blah. And I was like, have you looked at the numbers in Atlanta? Like really comparatively, I'm probably safer in the cities that I'm going to be in. And so I think that's interesting too, though. It's all media, right? Like your our perceptions of things. So to your point, doesn't matter where you are. You just got to be on it and uh, and smart. Yeah. Of all the places you've traveled, right? Situationally aware or not, where's your favorite? I actually would say that Turkey is one of my absolute favorites. It's such an amalgamation of different cultures. Um, and I I hoped that I would feel this way because I've been waiting to go to Turkey for a decade. And then I actually did. I mean, it's very 
it's truly otherworldly geographically, culturally, um, from a food perspective. Like, I don't think that there's a kind of traveler that it would disappoint. Um, but I also, I mean, love Croatia, love Japan, love South Africa, Morocco, like there, I think everything depends on what you're looking for, like what kind of vacation you want to have, but people are always welcome to give me a shout. I will give out all the free travel tips happily. Yeah. Turkey. Have you ever seen that video of the watchtower of Turkey? That beautifully edited oh. video. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I'll send you the link to it. Um, it's smooth cinematography and sound design. It is, dare I say, delicious. It's like a work of art. It's ridiculous. I love it. It's what made me want to uh, start editing like very high speed, very like on-ramping, off-ramping transitions, pushing, running, running all kinds of gradients and everything else. Like it is what got me. I was like, damn, I got to get a camera and I got to learn how to edit like this. Shit. Are you still doing video work now? Not really. No, I don't do any paid work anymore at all. Um, I actually just farm it out to uh to mutual connection of ours and uh, a few other people depending on what the specs are what's going on but um i actually the other day got asked if i would get back into uh the intimate space and like the editorial space mm -hmm. with a few of my a few of old girlfriends that i used to shoot with um that asked me if i would get back into it i don't know it's something that when it's not a job i love like when it's about money i didn't love it because i <clears throat> My favorite type of photography was was one on one or two on one studio or otherwise uh, photographing women, you know, whether it be bikini, editorial, high fashion, what have you. Like the creation with with a woman just being one hundred percent herself and not needing a man to provide space for her to be wholly feminine, but being interested in being in a space with a photographer that honored the feminine. Uh, that was there and to anyone that doesn't understand the divine feminine and masculine you're gonna think that's really heady and that's cool go weed go go read the way of superior man go go dive into some some uh some content on that but you know the the photography for me and the videography it gave me such a a space to honor women and i loved it absolutely loved it uh, but when we added the business function into that with the editorial with the high fashion with the intimates with the swimwear it took the joy away from it for me. And I was like, shit, I don't love this because now we're commercializing. Look, I am a longstanding capitalist. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I am happy to charge for Boy work. loves a side hustle. Um, yeah. Love to charge for work. USA Olympics. You want to hire me again? Let's go baby. Um, but I don't like charging for that kind of work. And it's not because I don't think that I'm worth it. It's because I, I don't do it for, the same reason a lot of people do it for. You know what I mean? I really do. It's interesting because I got the nicest camera they've ever had like a year ago, right? Yeah. And I think I've used it a whole three times, which is terrible. But like I'll do engagement sessions every once in a while. I definitely don't say yes to all of them anymore. But I think I think that also as artists, we have to give ourselves space to take breaks for, with things to fall in love with them again and like my roommate Matt who you know who's one of our close both of our close friends I love seeing how passionate he is about it like he can't get enough of it right now he's, he's so on fire and he's on fire and that is a beautiful place that's that flow space that you could just like 
live in there, lose all concept of time. Like it just makes him happy. And I'm waiting like right now, the only thing that I am like get fiery passion about shooting is astrophotography, which guess what? Can't be in Atlanta to shoot that. So like gotta be on some trip out in the middle of nowhere to like experiment with my camera in the way that I want to. And the thing that sets me on fire, but like, again, those days are going to be like a handful of days in a calendar year, but I'm okay with that because I love it because it's what I want it to be. And now that I'm in this place in my career where I'm not making content every single day, because I think that's what took it away from me. I was a content creator. I was on my camera 10 hours a day, editing shit all day, every day. And I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm burnt out on this. I'll do other artistic things, but it's not going to be photography for a little while, not for anybody's needs but my own um and I it's funny now because most of what I shoot with my iPhone and I think my boyfriend just thinks that I'm like everybody else on Instagram <laughs> that takes pictures with their iPhones so he was like what are your hobbies and I was like photography and he's like yeah is it <laughs> and like I swear I was a real photographer at one point but it just I don't know one day we'll get back to it but I'm glad to hear that you have like an open line because I know in the past we've talked about this and you've had uh like a wavering relationship with do I dive back in or do I still take more time so that's cool and what's very interesting is going back to another point that we had earlier like so much of the hesitation to dive in was just a future romantic partner Mm, because it's always been such a place of contention yeah it's been one of the biggest the biggest things that we've ever fought over like anyone that I've chosen to date you know like oh you're gonna do that work unpaid instead of hang out with me like hold on it's not a this or that it's not a substitute in fact they're completely different things but you know someone that doesn't want to understand won't and someone that doesn't want that to fly won't let it fly and that's okay that's totally her right and anyone else is right if they want to do that but it really boxed me into a corner where then I felt I felt kind of some shame for it, even though I wasn't doing it for the reasons that those partners were purporting. But I was like, but am I secretly? Does my subconscious want that? Like I started questioning everything. And when I started started questioning everything, I lost my confidence in shooting and I just stopped shooting because mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't want to step on the toes of my partner because I love her. But like, why would someone that I love ask me to stop doing something that I that I also love? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. My uncle was a photographer. He actually introduced me to the dark room and all this stuff. When I was 14, I can honestly give him a lot of the uh, things for where I'm at in my career now. But he was like old Hollywood glam and he would do boudoir like back in the day on film. And he and his wife always had a super, I mean, to him, she was the one and only. There was never a question of like anybody else. But she was so confident in what they had that there wasn't like she would see the pictures and be like, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. And she was close with all these girls. And like he was still doing that when he was in his 50s, 60s. And the girls are like in their 20s, 30s, whatever. Do you know what I mean? But like she was so in love with his craft and so confident in their relationship that there wasn't any weirdness about it. And I feel very lucky to live with a very progressive couple that have really defined what a marriage can look like for me. Um, Because I think, again, so much of our 
narrative about what is right and wrong and good and bad is like very ingrained in the spaces that were brought up. And I know you and I both grew up in very Christian homes in the South and this and that. And a lot of our friends did. Most people did. So of course we have these traditional tropes of like what is healthy and unhealthy and what is right and wrong. And like, you can't blame people for feeling that way. And I had to get to a place where I was like, you know what? like I'm sitting over here feeling like I'm all enlightened and shit and that like people are in the wrong for still feeling traditional about things but guess what it's not wrong it's just not right for me it's just not going to work for me and my partner so I think we are working in like a space in Atlanta where maybe the like the pool of those people is a bit smaller than it might be in you know some other states um in America but I know I think that over time we've also found our tribes right of like people who are more open-minded similar thinking about these things and I have full confidence that you'll find both a romantic partner and the love for you know the art of what you're doing again so yeah um I listened to um do you know who John Bernthal is I don't um the Punisher the actor that played the Punisher He's in a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the only reason why I even need to bring that up, I was listening to an episode. Shia LaBeouf came on his podcast, The Real Ones. Oh my God, what a character. Yeah, yeah Shia LaBeouf. punishing yourself. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf, though, had an interesting quote. Um, and he said, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but he said, uh, you know, I know in the end, it's all going to be okay. And if I look around and it's not okay, then it's not the end. Like, I think at the end of the day, like, that is very, and Shia LaBeouf has had a, an interesting interesting very jacked up sideways i have no room to judge i don't know the man i met him once uh in peachtree city actually when he was filming transformers and he's kind of a dick to me but i don't hold it against him Um, (laughs) if i was a a child if i was a child star i'd probably be a dick too honestly um but yeah the podcast was interesting to see him admit fault for so many things and to be in a spot where he's like i'm fucked up man i'm i'm really fucked up and i'm working on it uh, but I just know that at the end of the day, it's all going to work out. And if it's not working out, then we're just not at the end yet. And I found that very interesting and, and kind of playing back right into where we're at, because I think that, um, you know, we're all on this journey trying to figure shit out, right? I'm 27 years old. I I know like this much, this much. I read a little bit. I try to listen. Are you 27? Yeah. I feel like you've been 27 for years now. Katie, I've only known you since February. Was that this year? Oh my god! Yes. Uh, Well, actually, not. Well, I was thirty when I met you, so (laughs) I've aged. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Haven't known you that long. Um, That is wild. But it it is interesting though, and in in every interaction you and I have had, we found more commonalities, more people that bring us together, more ideas that bring us together. Even though there's there's probably if you looked at a list and we were sitting on opposite sides of the table, we could list out a ton of things that we disagree on. But I think that it's the acceptance. I think it's the acceptance that like shit's out of our control and what works for you might not work for me and vice versa. And there's certain things that we can absolutely ride or die on that dad club, personal responsibility, handful of other things. And there's other things that, I mean, we don't have to dive into the the intricacies of that we disagree on and we know for sure we do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think that that's fine. I think that's totally fine. That's the beautiful thing too, though. It's like, we've always had incredibly respectful conversations. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't know how to do super well now when they, 
like there are things that we fervently disagree on and I actually enjoy that if we agreed on everything what a boring conversation would that be I mean what a boring friendship what I like about you is the banter that we have right and that like it's so fun but with all the things where we don't agree. It's like, you know what? I really want to hear more from your perspective because I want to understand this is like interesting to me. But also at the end of the day, if I still feel the same way as I did entering the conversation and so do you, like more power to you. That's totally fine. That's your story, my story. We're two different people and that's what makes the world an interesting place. And I think like, I don't know. Of, Of course there are exceptions where you're like, hurting people or like a group of people but that's not what we're talking about here we're just talking about disagreements about like certain things in life that are completely fine and I wish that there was a lot more acceptance around but I think interestingly too about you pointing out the fact that we've only known each other since February I was thinking the other day about January how, February but yeah, yeah this, year. this year 2022 um I think about some people that I've known for 10 years or people that you can have a ton of history with, but you've never really like dove deep. Right. And then like you and I, I, we can talk about almost anything without barriers. And so that creates like a certain level of friendship and kinship. And I think that those are the kinds of relationships that I look for as I get older too, because I'm not interested in the superficial, the surface level, the fluff and the, you know, as much as I love to talk about like trips and stuff too sometimes people think that's the only thing that they can talk to me about it's like where have you been on vacation recently and how was the weather and all right well have a nice saturday and that's you know just the tip of the iceberg so i'm i'm grateful that we have more people that are getting comfortable in those spaces of like diving deep i think yeah no i think it's definitely it's definitely beneficial um i think it's honestly paramount we need to see more people as they are, you know, when you accept them for who they are and who they're not and release our expectations of them. Uh, Cause those are projections in and of themselves. Are they not? Yeah. So uh, I don't want to drag us. Um, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed the shit out of this. Um, we didn't really dive into the ad side. I think maybe in the future we, we relink and we talk about that world. I think there's a lot of insight that you could bring to up and coming creators, young creators, individuals that are trying to make it in that space. Cause you have definitely woven yourself all up in that junk uh, from photography on. So I think that would be a great conversation to have in the future, but anything you want to leave the people with anyone that's listening to this. Thank you for sticking with us for <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, here we are. Long, long I have podcast. to chop this baby up a little bit. We're not chopping shit up, Katie. It's oh, us, I... raw and unfiltered. Here we are. Well, I love that. The only thing that I'm chopping up is that that silly, silly time where the internet cut out and I just sat here and looked at the camera. That's the only <laughs> That's thing I'm cutting out. That's fair. It's totally reasonable. No, this has honestly been a pleasure. We'll definitely, uh, we can have some more focused sessions in the future, but we can focus or not focus. I'm just grateful for the time. I appreciate you making the time for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again. I hope you have a wonderful time in Denver and Phoenix self-reported from your Instagram, not from knowledge that I had that no one else did. Uh, not a stalker, just on your Instagram. <laughs> um, but I hope you do have fun there. And uh, I definitely appreciate you being here. And we will have to do it again. Definitely Thank will. you. It was a pleasure. 
right, guys, that's going to be the conclusion of the episode. If you are looking out for us, we're on social media at at 8020 underscore. Uh, we're on all streaming sites. We're also on YouTube and LinkedIn. Um, if you use LinkedIn, Katie does. I don't. Um, but if you use LinkedIn, you can go over there. Otherwise, um, look out for us next week. Drop an episode uh, roughly every Monday. Sometimes I skip because whatever. Um, but if you made it this far, really appreciate your attention and look forward to chatting with y'all later. Again, Katie, really appreciate it. And we'll have to do it again. Absolutely. All right, peace.